you this morning and celebrate that Jesus is alive. My name is Karen, and I'm the children's minister here at Snyder, and this is... I'm Garen Gamble, the church administrator at Snyder. Well, Garen, if you want to check out what's going on this morning and follow along with us, they can go to our Snyder website, SnyderMBC.com, and go to the Worship, Learn, and Grow tab, or Give tab, and you can click down there and find the order of worship so you can see all the words this morning and see what we're doing this morning. Great. But we've been doing some new things this week um, to celebrate the Holy Week. What have we been doing this year? This Holy Week is different. You know, we usually have a Thursday night service in the sanctuary to celebrate Maundy Thursday and with communion, but this week we had to do it differently. We had a drive-through Stations of the Cross, and it was extremely well attended. We estimate that about 600 people wow. came through and took communion, so we're grateful for that. And there was a neat event that you did for children yesterday. Right. We, um, we took our resurrection celebration that we typically do for our families, and we created an at-home kit for them to do. It, it had Easter eggs and craft and some dif different activities where you could read the scripture and go through, do things to um, learn about the week before Jesus died and, and that he's alive and that we can celebrate that. So it was a lot of fun. We had over about over, over 100 kits that we had, and they're all gone. So um, it was neat to have that as well. Um, we've also been doing some fun things. I have been challenging our families and kids especially to do different things like build epic forts in your house or like our challenge this week or the last week was um, to recreate your favorite Bible story. And Colt Livingston has recreated his favorite Bible story here for us. We've got it as an example. And he recreated Jonah and the whale. And it's so neat to see these kids have really stepped up to these challenges and they are very creative, I want to tell you. So keep looking for those challenges. We're going to do a new one this week. Um, but yeah, it's been fun to see all the creativity that we've, we've had during this time. I'd say also this, during this time, y'all have been tremendous in stewardship. You know, a few weeks ago when we had our first Sunday that we couldn't gather, I said something to you like, don't let fear rob you of the joy of being faithful and generous, and you haven't. I know it wasn't because of what I said, it was because you already had it in your heart to give. February was a record month in giving, and even with the stay-at-home orders in March, March was also a record month. You've been generous. You've mailed checks. You've dropped them off. Some of you have even sent them with your neighbors that work at Snyder. And you've been using the giving and tithing button on the website and the giving button on the Church Life app and the direct deposit options, and we appreciate it. People have even called me during this time saying, I have extra to give. Where do you need it? And we're so thankful. We haven't had to use any pressure. You've had it in your heart to be generous. Your giving is telling us that you're trusting God in these difficult times, and it tells us that you appreciate that we're doing our very best to connect with you even though we can't be together. It's telling us that you appreciate what's going on and that we're taking care of our staff, and you're telling us that you want to keep your church strong, and we're listening. All we can say is thank you and keep it up. We'll get through this, and in a few weeks, we'll be able to gather again. We might be wearing masks. We might not be able to shake hands or hug, but we can pray and sing and worship. That's going to be an amazing day, and when that day comes, you're going to be glad that you helped give and were faithful during this time. But on this Sunday, the Sunday of Easter, we also celebrate Christ is risen. He's he is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. 
He is risen. He has risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is 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 risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone. This solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was Every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground There in the ground His body lay Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for every sin on him was laid. Son 
Well, as much as we wish that we could all be worshiping together this morning, I know that we are united in the power and presence of Christ within each of us. And so just because we're not here in a physical place, you are there and Christ is with you. And so as we sing this morning, we're going we're gonna to ask some questions and we're going to ask that you respond to those. Easter is not a location. It's a celebration. Amen? Amen. And do you feel the world is broken? We do. And do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. And do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? It's all creation groaning it is. is a new creation coming it is. And is the glory of the Lord to be The light within our midst Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. And does the Father truly love us? He does. And does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. And does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He's David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, and every nation and tongue. He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessings? 
Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing, honor, and glory? Of our blessing and honor and glory? He is. Let's pray together. Worthy God, with thanks we come before you this morning. Thankful for a sacrifice given and a resurrection experienced that brings new life, everlasting life, abundant life to us and into a lost and dying world. We bring you praise and honor and glory this morning. More than that, we bring ourselves offered as living sacrifices to live for you out of love and devotion for all you have given. Thank you that we serve a risen Savior this Easter and every day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
He is risen. It's a great day to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, high and exalted at the right hand of God the Father and coming home, coming to take us home to be with him forever. He is risen. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles this morning, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, a beautiful chapter in the New Testament about the, the resurrection. And I'm going to read just a portion of that scripture, verses 12 through 26. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not, dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of God for the people of God. There are certain days in our nation's history that everyone who was alive at the time remembers. I was only six at the time, but my dad has recalled this memory for me, the, the assassination of Pre President JFK on the 22nd of November, 1963. For some reason, as a little boy growing up, I remember my dad telling me he knew exactly where he was because of the news and the impact that it had. He was getting his hair cut here at Fort Bragg in the 82nd Airborne Division. September 11th, 2001, a date that we simply know as 9-11. I remember exactly where I was in the chaplain's office at the United States Military Academy at West Point. Somebody had caught a news of that. We had a TV in the back conference room. I ran back to watch the video replay of the first tower and watch the plane take the second tower down live. And as of today, we can add Easter Sunday 2020 to the list. This is probably the only time in our entire lifetime, whether you're five or 105, that the churches in the United States of America will be empty on Easter Sunday. I never would have believed it would happen in this land in particular, but it is a reality, and so is the empty tomb. No one expected it, not the Roman authorities. There were guards there. They had sealed the tomb. Those, those guards were probably the top-notch soldiers of the unit, and no one was going to mess with those soldiers uh, from the Roman Empire. Not the religious leaders. 
they thought they were finally rid of Jesus Christ. They had gotten him tried by the Roman authorities. They had incited the crowd to say, crucify him. And he was finally crucified, and they thought they were free to continue their old religion. Not even the disciples. They were huddled in a locked room out of fear of what was going to happen to them now that their leader had been crucified. Not even the faithful women who in the hours of darkness were moving to the tomb to take care of Jesus' dead body. It had been taken down in haste because it was a Sabbath. It had not been properly embalmed. And they were there to take care of that body post-mortem and help their Savior, their, their friend, Jesus Christ. And what they found changed everything. An empty tomb. I am grateful for the gospel accounts of that first Easter morning, and that's usually where I spend my time uh, during the week leading up to this Sunday. And the record of all the post-resurrection appearances that Jesus made, there are 11 separate appearances recorded in the different gospels. But the one chapter in the Bible that probably explains the significance of the resurrection and the empty tomb more than any other is the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And the context is important. We hear about the Sadducees alongside the Pharisees, but the Sadducees in, in, in Jesus' day believed that the soul was not immortal. They didn't believe there was any uh, life after death, and so there was no need to talk about a soul and where it would spend in eternity. But the greater issue that Paul was dealing with and the churches that he had started in, in, in that era was this prevailing thought in the Greek culture of that day. The Greeks did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. We read in Acts, in the 17th chapter, in the 32nd verse, when Paul appeared there at Athens and was talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he got to the part where he talked about Jesus being raised from the dead. The Bible says that those scholars and learned wise people sneered at him. They laughed at him. What a fool you are to believe that there's a resurrection of the dead. The Greeks believed that the body was the prison of the soul. And when the body died, the soul would be released. Why would we want a resurrected body to go back into prison? And this belief had infiltrated the early church in Corinth, which was a great city. So this was the context of Paul's letter to the, to the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul is arguing both the fact of the resurrection, that Jesus had been resurrected, and its significance. I found a quote by R.A. Torrey this week. It says, The crucifixion has its meaning in the resurrection. Without the empty tomb, the crucifixion was only the heroic death of a noble martyr. But with the resurrection, the crucifixion was the atoning death of the Son of God. And so the two go together. In fact, when you see the gospel being preached in the New Testament times, it was always about the crucifixion and the resurrection. They go together, and they're incomplete, one without the other. The resurrection, my friends, is not just important. It is of first importance. Everything we believe as Christians hinges on the truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so I want to share a few thoughts with you this morning about Jesus and, and resurrection and its significance in the empty tomb. First of all, the resurrection. Both Jesus' resurrection in the past and our future resurrection is essential to the completion of God's purpose for the world. We need to go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and, and, and 2 in particular. We were created in the image of God to be in relationship, in fellowship, in intimate fellowship with our Creator. That relationship was broken in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And the entire Old Testament 
is the story of how God tries repeatedly through various covenants to restore that relationship with his people, but God's people could never fulfill their end of the covenant. They couldn't, couldn't do what they were required to do for the covenant to remain intact. And so God had one final plan that became necessary, and God knew this plan would be necessary from the beginning of time. He would send his son into the world to be our savior. Jesus would live a sinless life. Why is that important? Because sin had come into the world. The penalty for sin is death. We know that from Genesis 3. We know that from Romans 6, 23. And someone had to overcome not just sin, but its penalty. And so Jesus lived a sinless life. He didn't have to die for his sins. He chose to die for ours. And by removing that sin and its penalty, Jesus has made a way for us to be in right relationship with the God who created us, our Father again. His resurrection was absolutely necessary in order to accomplish this task. The penalty that God had established for all who sinned was death. And someone had to overcome death for us to have life. And so Jesus had to overcome the grave for his death to be effective on our behalf. And Paul argues, and rightfully so, that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our future resurrection. That's the argument Paul makes repeatedly in our text this morning. Why is that important? with respect to the purpose of God. God has created us to be in relationship with him for him to dwell with us. It's going to happen one day. Our resurrected bodies at the end of, the at the end of time are going to need an appropriate place to dwell. We're not going to just float around as spirits in space for all eternity. The Bible promises us that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And on that new heaven and new earth, God will finally dwell with his people. I've already referred to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21. Listen to what the Bible says at the end of time. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully addressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is going to fulfill his original purpose for his creation. He is going to be able to dwell with his people, and it will be because of the empty tomb, Jesus' resurrection and our future resurrection, that we will be able to dwell every day, not with God somewhere up in heaven, God dwelling with us. The empty tomb is essential for the completion of God's purpose for the world. Second thing, the empty tomb guarantees one of our greatest needs in life, hope. Isn't that what we need today more than anything else? Hope. The Bible says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Because Jesus lives, our hope extends beyond this life. Peter writes about that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope extends far beyond this earth far beyond the days that we'll live here, we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. Life in this fallen world is difficult. 
We face disappointments. We face diseases. We face disasters. And we will all eventually face death. But the Bible tells us that we're, not, we're just pilgrims on this earth. That is not our permanent home. We can't get too connected to this earth. We're not going to live here forever. Our hope is for a better and a brighter future beyond this world. Our hope includes a new body one day. Just like the body that Jesus Christ has today after the resurrection. Paul uses a term here in 1 Corinthians 15, the term first fruits, and people don't know necessarily what that means. It's a biblical term. It goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus. When people's new grain would be coming for the new harvest season, the priest was required to take a sheaf of the first fruit, the first grain, and wave it before the Lord, offer it. It was an offering to the Lord. The people were not allowed to eat the other grain. They weren't allowed to make bread with the grain until the first fruit had been offered to the Lord, signifying that the whole harvest belonged to the Lord. And what God is telling us here in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Jesus is that first fruits of the resurrection. He is something that God is pleased with, and God is going to produce more resurrection in the time to come. When Christ was raised, God assured us that we too would be raised. Not until Christ comes back. Our soul goes immediately to be with the Lord at the point of our death if we believe in Christ as Savior. But our body sleeps. It rests until Christ returns, and then all of the bodies will awaken, they will be uh, made alive again, and we will all experience the bodily resurrection at the day and the moment when Christ returns. That's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And that new spiritual body, the one like Jesus, is described for us here in 1 Corinthians 15. I won't cover that this morning, but read verses 35 through 50. It describes the power and the glory and the immortality of the new body that you and I will have. Our hope also includes the fact that our loved ones who have died are not lost. We did 29 funerals at Snyder Memorial Baptist Church last year. Some of you listening today are remembering your loved ones who went home to be with the Lord this past year. Know that our hope tells us that they're not lost. Their soul is with the Lord Jesus Christ right now, and you and I will see them again and will spend all of eternity with them because of our hope in Jesus Christ established by the empty tomb. Our future hope in Christ means our faith in him and our labor for him now are not in vain. Some people look, and why do you Christians going to obey all those rules of Scripture? Because our hope is found in Scripture, and in the God of Scripture, and in the Christ that the Scripture points us to. And so we labor for Christ now, and we faithfully serve Him now, because our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus and His blood and righteousness. The Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because our hope is in Him. Our future is in Him. Our hope also means that our graves will be empty one day too. Think about that. Regardless of whether your body is taken over by cancer, or you die in a tragic car wreck, or we just get old and, and, and breathe our last breath, it does not matter what happens to our body, whether we're buried in a casket or cremated and buried in an urn somewhere. Our hope means that our graves will be empty one day too. And so the empty tomb gives us hope. And without the empty tomb, we have no hope. And finally, the empty tomb is a testimony to the power of God. Only God has the power to undo death. 
all of our scientists and smart people over the course of human history, it's amazing the advances in modern medicine. It's amazing the advances in science. It's amazing we just sent two more, three more astronauts to the space station up in outer space. It's amazing what the human mind can do. But one thing humans have not been able to do to date, and one thing humans will never be able to do, regardless of how long this world lasts, we will never be able to undo death. Only God has the power to take a dead person and make them alive again. Only God has the power to forgive sin. That's the point of Jesus' death and resurrection. Dying on the cross and for our sin and then being raised from the dead, meaning that there is, there is life after sin. The Bible says, Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. God's power guarantees our ultimate victory over sin and death and the grave. That's what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the point I want to make this morning to you about God's power. That power, folks, according to scripture, lives in us today. I want to read for you Paul's prayer. There are two beautiful prayers in the book of Ephesians. One of them is in Ephesians 1, that's the one I'm going to read, and one is in Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is praying for the new believers at Ephesus. Here's what he says, beginning with the 17th verse. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, there it is, to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. What the Bible says, and Paul is praying for, and he's praying for it because God wants us to have it, that the power that God used to raise his son from the dead is in us as believers. That's a tremendous promise. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. And we've quoted many times, it's our favorite scripture for many people, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another definition or another translation of that verse is, I can do all things through Christ who infuses me with power, his power. And so you and I have the power, the resurrection living in us to live the abundant life that Christ came to bring us and to live victoriously in this world, looking forward to our hope when Christ returns to take us home. Paul talks about Christ's reign here in our passage this morning. Christ is already reigning at the right hand of God the Father. We, Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. God has already given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and, and, and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen for everyone one day. But Jesus is already reigning right now. When Christ returns, however... His reign will be total and absolute. That's what the Bible says. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For, life must for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ is going to destroy all powers 
all human powers, all uh, supernatural powers, anything that opposes the rule and the purpose of God. And the Bible says the last enemy he will destroy is death. In fact, if you look at Revelation chapter 20, both the devil and death and the Antichrist and all the false prophets will be thrown into the lake of fire where they'll be tormented forever. And Christ will undo death by raising those who belong to him. Only God has the power to undo death. And the empty tomb testifies to that power. I want to close with an illustration that I found over 20 years ago. I think it was first published in Chicken Soup for the Soul when those books came out. Uh, it's, a, it's a great story. Jeremy was born with a twisted body, a slow mind, and a chronic terminal illness that had been slowly killing him all his young life. Still, his parents had tried to give him as normal a life as possible and had sent him to St. Teresa's Elementary School. At the age of 12, Jeremy was only in second grade, seemingly unable to learn. His teacher, Doris Miller, often became exasperated with him. He would squirm in his seat, drool, and make grunting noises. At other times, he spoke clearly and distinctly as if a spot of light had penetrated the darkness of his brain. Most of the time, however, Jeremy irritated his teacher. One day, she called his parents and asked them to come to St. Teresa's for a consultation. As the foresters sat quietly in the empty classroom, Doris said to them, Jeremy really belongs in a special school. It isn't fair to him to be with younger children who don't have learning problems. Why, there's a five-year gap between his age and that of the other students. Mrs. Forrester cried softly into a tissue while her husband spoke. Miss Millery said there's no school of that kind nearby. It would be a terrible shock for Jeremy if we had to take him out of this school. We know he really likes it here. Dora sat for a long time after they left, staring at the snow outside the window. Its coldness seemed to seep into her soul. She wanted to sympathize with the foresters. After all, their only child had a terminal illness, but it wasn't fair to keep him in her class. She had 18 other youngsters to teach, and Jeremy was a distraction. Furthermore, he would never learn to read and write. Why waste any, any more time trying? As she pondered the situation, guilt washed over her. Oh, God, she said aloud. Here I am complaining when my problems are nothing compared with that poor family. Please help me to be more patient with Jeremy. From that day on, she tried hard to ignore Jeremy's noises and his blank stares. Then one day he limped to her desk, dragging his bad leg behind him. I love you, Miss Miller, he exclaimed, loud enough for the whole class to hear. The other students snickered, and Doris's face turned red. She stammered, why, that's very nice, Jeremy. Please take your seat. Spring came, and the children talked excitedly about the coming of Easter. Doris told them the story of Jesus, and then to emphasize the idea of new life springing forth, she gave each of the children a large plastic egg. Now, she said to them, I want you to take this home and bring it back tomorrow with something inside that shows new life. Do you understand? Yes, Miss Miller, the children responded enthusiastically, all except for Jeremy. He just listened intently. His eyes never left her face. He did not even make his usual noises. Had he understood what she had said about Jesus' death and resurrection? Did he understand the assignment? Perhaps she should call his parents and explain the project to them. That evening, Doris's kitchen sink stopped up. She called the landlord and waited an hour for him to come by and unclog it. After that, she still had to shop for groceries, iron a blouse, and prepare a vocabulary test for the next day. She completely forgot about phoning Jeremy's parents. 
The next morning, 19 children came back to school laughing and talking as they placed their eggs in the large whisker basket on Miss Miller's desk. After they completed their math lesson, it was time to open the eggs. In the first egg, Doris found a flower. Oh yes, a flower is certainly a sign of new life, she said. When plants peek through the ground, we know that spring is here. A small girl in the first row waved her arms. That's my egg, Miss Miller, she called out. The next egg contained a plastic butterfly, which looked very real. Doris held it up. We all know that caterpillar a caterpillar changes in and grows into a butter beautiful butterfly. Yes, that is new life too. Little Judy smiled proudly and said, Miss Miller, that one is mine. Next, Doris found a rock with moss on it. She explained that moss too showed life. Billy spoke up from the back of the room. My daddy helped me, he beamed. Then Doris opened the fourth egg, and she gasped. The egg was empty. Surely it must be Jeremy, she thought, and of course he did not understand her instructions. If only she had not forgotten to phone his parents. Because she did not want to embarrass him, she quietly set the egg aside and reached for another. Suddenly, Jeremy spoke up. Miss Miller, aren't you going to talk about my egg? Flustered, Doris replied, but Jeremy, your egg is empty. He looked into her eyes and said softly, yes, but Jesus' tomb was empty too. Time stopped. When she could speak again, Doris asked him, do you know why the tomb was empty? Oh, yes, Jeremy exclaimed. Jesus was killed and put in there, and then his father raised him up. The recess bell rang, and while the children excitedly ran out to the schoolyard, Doris cried. The cold inside her melted completely away. Three months later, Jeremy died. Those who paid their respects at the mortuary were surprised to see 19 eggs on the top of his casket, all of them empty. Happy Easter, everyone. His tomb is forever empty, and ours will be too one day. Let's pray together. Father, we can't thank you enough this morning for the empty tomb and all that it means. That you will one day accomplish your initial purpose for your creation and for all of us who have been made in your image. That we don't have to live a single day of life here on this earth without hope. And that we have the power of the risen Savior living in us today until he comes and takes us home. Father, thank you for raising your son from the dead. Thank you for sending him here to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you that the crucifixion and the resurrection go together for us. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, if you were here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I can think of no better day to place your faith in Jesus than today. God loves you. God wants you in right relationship with him. Please, if you have not already, place your faith in Jesus this morning. And Christian, there is no better day to be a disciple of Jesus Christ than today. He is risen. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. <clears throat> Also, there was no more sea. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. From God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the future that we have awaiting us. Father, my heart longs for the day when I live with you in the new Jerusalem. Oh, Father, our future is more than a destination. It is our motivation. And it's all because of what your son Jesus has done. Your precious son gave his life when he did not deserve it. Father, I deserve to be there. And I thank you so much that your son willingly went and laid his life down for every single person. And thought, Father, thank you that on the third day, he rose from that tomb, victorious, completely victorious. And Father, our Savior is alive today. Just as alive as he was then, he is alive. Hallelujah, Father, for our precious Savior. Father, in the midst of these uncertain times, we can have hope because our Savior is alive. We love you. We thank you for Easter. We thank you we can celebrate this every single day. It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He lives no matter what is going on in our lives. Jesus Christ lives. Richard Sugg promised uh, that since the Hallelujah Chorus was not a part of the singing Christmas tree this last year, that we would have it a part of Easter. And so we will. Christ has risen. Hallelujah. The church may be, may be empty, but...
worshiping with you this morning, even if you didn't get to physically join with one another. This year, Easter's looking a little different. Well, way different than any of us could have ever imagined. And for many of us, Easter's always meant things like massive Easter egg hunts and family gatherings, going to church and dressing up in our best. But guess what? Easter is not canceled. And we just had an amazing experience this morning reflecting on the empty tomb. And now more than ever, there's reason to celebrate the hope that we have in heaven through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. We invite you to check out Easter Jam this afternoon. It's a fun, interactive online experience for families with kids, teenagers, parents, grandparents, people of all ages. It includes games like peep jousting and the softball challenge. And it's all planned so that you and your family can have a just fun, memorable family celebration centered around the Easter story. The only thing you might need is a way to watch. And so if you're part of the Snyder family and we have your email address, you should have just received an email that has a link to click on and it'll take you to the event. Or you can access it via one of our TV apps on Roku, Fire Stick, or Apple TV. You can also use our Snyder mobile apps for Apple or Android and access it on Facebook. There's lots of ways to join us. So please join us and add some fun family time to your Easter day. Right now, you're going to hear from some of our youth. They've been thinking about what it means to know that Jesus is alive. So listen to their Easter reflections. Starting in John 19, verses one through three, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, hail King of Jews, and they slapped him in the face. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus was human just like us, and he had to sacrifice his life for us. Long ago, God planned that Jesus will be handed over to you. With the help of evil people, you put Jesus to death. You nailed him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. He set him free from the suffering of death. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. So through his sacrifice, one day all believers will experience everlasting life and wholeness in God's presence. Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus gave up his spirit for us. So we can't lose hope. Jesus paid our penalties and debts with his blood stained on that cross. He sacrificed himself to purchase our forgiveness and give us hope for a future with God in heaven. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. In fact, the only trace that anyone had been there was Jesus' folded burial linens. The fact that he rose from the dead three days later shows us that we too will be raised from our sins, and that's really special. He did it. He conquered death. He rose on the third day. Jesus finally conquered death, and how he finally achieved his goal here on it's earth. It's pretty amazing to know that we serve a risen Savior who has conquered death, and he is alive today. Jesus' resurrection also tells us that, it is, that there is life beyond the grave. Regardless of the situation, the Lord will win, and he will remove the stains of sadness and bring joy. God is always with us. He wanted us to remember his death. He also wants us to know how much he loves us. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So always remember that the good news is true. Jesus Christ died, but now he lives. Jesus is alive. And not only is he alive now, he's coming back in that human form again. So don't forget that whatever walks you face, Jesus is right there with you. So I want to leave you guys with a verse from the Hymn of Promise. 
And if you know the lyrics, sing along. And if you don't, just dwell on the words. Happy Easter, everyone, and remember to choose joy.